loved in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In um, I've been doing a series uh, a while ago, and on the Ten Commandments, and I actually delivered the first part of that series when I was here a few months ago. And the overall theme for the series on the Ten Commandments, or on what we confess in Lord's Days 34 to 44, was God's vision for the good and the flourishing human life. In other words, what is the positive reason for the Ten Commandments? We often look at, don't do this, don't do this. But why does God tell us these commandments? What is His intention behind them? Why does God say, have no other gods? Why does He say, you know, serve me, you know, don't make graven images, Honor the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Don't use my name in vain. Why does he say all these things? What, is he, what does he expect of us? What does he look to see in us? And part of the answer to that is that this is what it looks like to be a human being as we were meant and made to be. You want to be a human being, a fully human person? There's only been one perfect human being ever. His name was Jesus Christ. All other human beings have failed. They've fallen short. And so God in His law says, this is what you are called to be. You want to live the way you were meant and made to be. This is what it looks like. This is what I command of you, but this is also for your good. And so the first commandment then addresses that point of our life where we will first stumble in the good and the flourishing life that God has commanded of us. The good and flourishing life that He has envisioned for us, the life we're meant and made made for, the first commandment really addresses that place where we'll stumble first. The first commandment, have no other gods before me, is about our relationship with God as we live in relationship with Him, as we live in the freedom and the new life that He has given us in Christ. So it's about understanding who God is and understanding who He is in your heart. And in the first commandment, God says to us, in your life with me, in your new life with me, this is where you will stumble first. This is where you will go wrong first. And then you will not be able to enjoy the freedom that I have given to you in Jesus Christ. You will not be able to enjoy life with me. You will damage your relationship with me, you will make yourself less. So the first commandment is really about a call to understand who God is and understand that in order to be what we were meant and made to be, in order to live the life that we have been given in Christ, we need to have no other gods. And that's actually what we see with the rich young ruler. We see it in Mark 10, it's also in Luke 18. Matthew 19, the parallel passages, similar, uh, told in different ways. In, in Luke 18, he's called a ruler. Matthew 19, he's called young. So, But we have the same account here. This is a, a rich young ruler. He runs up to Jesus. And in the Mark 10 account, he, he comes up to the He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What he does is he runs up to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he recognizes who Jesus is, and he has an encounter with him, and he wants to know, what do I do to inherit eternal life? He wants eternal life. He sees that Jesus has something to do with that. But what happens is he has an encounter with Jesus that actually exposes 
his heart and his relationship with God and with Jesus. So Jesus responds to his, his question. The man asks, you know, what do I do to ensure? He says, why do you call me good? No, it is good except God himself. And then he says, verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. So he does two things. In the first place, he, he gets the young man to understand the implications of what he's saying when he comes to Jesus. He says, good teacher. In other words, Jesus says, no one's good except God himself. So you understand you're coming to me. You know who I am. And then he says, after directing his attention to God, he then looks at the commandments. And notice that all of those commandments have to do with the second table of the law. Your relationship with your neighbor. And then the man says, I've done all this since I was a boy. So ever since this young man was a, was a boy, he grew up knew, knowing who God was, but also following the law, wanting to follow the law. And he's been doing it all, but he knows something's missing. And then verse 21, Jesus looks at him and says he loves, he loved him. And then in his love, Jesus does something devastating to the young man. And it's done in love, and it exposes his heart. And that's something that you need to hear this afternoon when you look at the first commandment, that God in his love will expose your heart and it will hurt sometimes. He looks at the young man and it says he loved him and he said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the man goes away sad because he had great wealth. The man was following the Lord he wanted to follow God. He wanted to live the good and the flourishing life. But when it came right down to it, he didn't love God enough. He couldn't make that step. He wouldn't follow Jesus all alone. His wealth was too important to him. And what happened in that moment is his heart was exposed. And he said all the stuff about following the Lord. But at the end of the day, his wealth was more important to him. Now, it's not that his wealth was wrong or that it was a curse. It was seen as a blessing, a sign of God bestowing his blessing on people when they were rich. That's why the disciples had such a hard time with Jesus saying how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. Because in their mind, if you were rich, that was a sign of God's blessing. And the rich people must be in because God's blessed them so much. So it's not that wealth was wrong, but it's somehow this blessing of God became a problem for him. And perhaps you have that in your life where you have been blessed with friends, or you have been blessed with money, or blessed with, with different things going on around you, and that blessing becomes so big that it actually overshadows God. And you begin to have a hard time thinking about living without that blessing. Something becomes bigger than God. The young ruler stumbles there, and we all stumble there. So, brothers, sisters, as you, as you hear this passage, as you hear what we confess about the first commandment, 
understand this is where we all stumble. And here in this commandment, the first commandment, God speaks to you every Sunday morning you hear it again. And when you hear those Ten Commandments, it's almost like God's the, the creator of heaven and earth, your Father, is standing before you and He looks at you and He loves you and He says to live the life that you have in Christ. You can't have other gods. It just won't work. If you have something else in your life that's bigger than me, it won't work. You will not experience life as I meant it to be. You will become less than you are. And this is where we trip up. It's offensive to God. You reject, you rebel against God when you don't have an when you have other gods besides him. And it's deeply offensive to God. Throughout the Old Testament, if you read through the Old Testament, you see it again and again. God even speaks of idolatry as adultery. He views his relationship with Israel as a, as a marriage, and, and he sees that serving another God or God on top of him is, is like breaking the marriage covenant, the marriage bond. When you have other gods, it means that you are cut off from the most important part of your life. The most important part of the good and flourishing human life, and that's God. David Pallison, in a well-known article written about 30 years ago, it's called Idols of the Mind and Vanity Fair. It was in the Journal of Christian Counseling. And David Pallison, I don't know if it's a name familiar to you. Um, he's probably more well-known by some of his students, like Ed Welch, Paul Tripp, uh, Tim Keller, and so on. They, he was very influential. And in, in, if you listen to those men speak or write or preach, they, they often talk about idols of the heart. Well, that's a David Pallison terminology. It's David Pallison terminology. And very influential article, very influential counselor, He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a preacher, but he's also a professor. And what he talks about is idols of the mind and then vanity fair. Just, he talks about what he, what he calls a threefold tension. That inside of us, we, ha, we, are, we are subjected to idols. But we're also forming idols. John Calvin called the heart a factory of idols. We, just, we make up things for us to subject ourselves to. And then he also talked about how we're being formed by idols. So it's a bizarre thing that goes, inside our, inside, goes on inside us that we're subjected to idols. There's things outside of us that, that somehow are, are pressing down on us. In our own hearts, we, we create things to subject ourselves to. And then in the process, we're being formed by those things. Our heart is being formed by idols. And so when you look... That's your life, to use the language of Lord's Day 34. When you have or invent something in which to put your trust, instead of or in addition to God, the only true God, who has revealed himself in his word, to use that language, you damage your relationship with God. You come under God's judgment, and you become less than you were meant and made to be. You know, to make it real in our lives, it's in some ways using a specific example will be difficult because it 
might not apply to everybody, but just think about your own life, even today, last week. Think of things, the way you acted, or the things that caused you sorrow or anger in your life. Think about those things. What, what happened where you're kind of looking back and you go, that was wrong. That was sinful of me. And what Pallison says is, now look at that. Think about it. You, know, you yelled at your spouse or your parents. You, you got in a fight with your brother, your sister, your friend. You got really mad. Really mad. You, or you, you, you looked at porn. You, 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 you wanted to steal something. Or you, you, you gossiped or you bullied. You did something that was harmful to another person. And what Pallison says is, now what was going on inside your heart? You know, think about it, you, you were mad, and you were mad, and you probably felt pretty good about being mad because you were right to be mad because somebody had done something to you, but what was really going on, what was threatened, what was really going on, and what often happens is you, tra- you track it back, and this intense emotion is tracked back to an idol that's being threatened. I look at it in my own life when I think about sometimes the intensity of emotion when I'm upset about something not going the way I wanted it to go or not getting what I wanted to get. And I was like, oh, I wish I could have that intensity of emotion in my relationship with God. Do you ever have that? Where, Where you're so angry or you're so happy and you're convicted by the fact that when it comes to my relationship with God, my getting pleasure or my being angry about something doesn't even come close to the level of intensity I should have for my relationship with God. What happens is you have something that you value so powerfully that it's become an idol. <coughs> you can think about it in your relationship with your spouse. You get mad, not because something of God's kingdom has been threatened, but because you wanted something from him or her, and you didn't get it, and you're mad. Or you think about what you will do at school. You know, fear of man. We have Proverbs 29, 25. When, when the fear of man, the fear of what other people think of you dominates your life. You know, I think we, we think about that for kids in school, you know, peer pressure, being embarrassed, or, oh, the other kids are going to laugh. But it happens with adults, too. The stuff we do because of fear of man. You know, Ed Welch wrote a book, you know, when, when, God, when people are big and God is small. He's using this concept here. We make fear of man an idol, and we will do incredible things to get satisfaction and to get meaning from that idol. I want people to think highly of me, and this is why I will do this or I won't do this. Or if sex becomes something that's so important to you, so big in your life that 
If you don't have what you want, you will do things that you shudder to think of when you look back. It becomes an idol. It becomes something that gives you meaning and purpose. And what God says in the first commandment is, when you have other gods besides me, you will chase after things that will make you less. You will chase after things that aren't me, and you will look for meaning and fulfillment in things that aren't me. And that not only is offensive to me, that not only angers me, but that makes you less. So the first commandment is the first area where we'll stumble. But as you look at the first commandment and you look at other gods, it's one thing to say, I don't want to follow other gods. Because when you think about the stuff that you were embarrassed about or that you, you struggled with in the past week, I'm thinking a lot of times you went to places where you were embarrassed by, by sort of manifestations where other people saw what you did or where you would be aware of what, you know, thinking, oh, what if people knew what I did? And it was kind of big ticket items. You know, I, I went on the internet and I looked at porn. Or I was, I was mad because somebody had something that I didn't have. Somebody has money and I, I resent them for it. Or, or I really am just consumed because I just want to get this thing that I want to buy. When you look at those sins, those different things that go on in your heart when you're chasing after other gods, do you stop just at kind of the big things? That's one of the challenges that I kind of have when I see people talk about porn. Yes, there are, and I, I get, I know that it is a real thing that people look at porn and they're addicted to it and it's a horrible thing. It happens to many people. It's not, it's something that's, that is, is, is real it is something that is a big problem for, for so many people. And if you're, if you're in that place, there's, there's ways that you can be helped. There's people you can talk to. But my fear is that we leave it at this level. I'm really following the God of sex when I watch porn. But I'm not following the God of sex when I watch some TV show that glamorizes sex. Or where I'm looking at my marriage and my relationship with my husband or my wife and I'm viewing sex as the only thing that I want. When we're just embarrassed about kind of the ugly manifestations of a sin, we're not really getting to the heart of having no other gods. And the first commandment is not just about following the big bad gods and being really explicit about it. No, it's about having something else that has a grip on your heart. And God says, you will stumble here first. I think a number of years ago, I think some of the women studied uh, respectable sins. I know that was one of the Bible studies. And in that book, Respectable Sins, you, you kind of see that. There's certain sins where you kind of, it's okay it's not that big a deal to do that. It's kind of respectable. It's something that just happens. 
But when you, you peel it back and peel it back, you see that underlining, under, underlying these, these certain sins, there is an idol at work, an idol that you may have formed, an idol that might be out there, but it's an idol that's forming your heart, your desires, your wants, how you look, how you live. One person put it this way, when you're, it was called the God of your idleness. I love this quote. And in his point, when he was making this point, he said, we don't have it a lot because now in your idleness, you take out your phone and you're looking at YouTube video clips. But before phones, kids, people would be bored waiting for a bus. And so his point was, in those moments, where does your mind go? When you don't have anything else to think of, where does your mind go? And oftentimes, that is telling of what your idols are. Does it go to how beautiful a house you're going to have? Does it go to you being the star of the the hockey team? Does it go to you being beautiful, being popular, being athletic, redoing your past? Where does it go? So it's important, brothers and sisters, to expose those. What's going on in your heart? And God says, have no other gods but me. Because as we read in Proverbs, the fear of the God is the beginning, fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. When you fear God, when you follow Him alone, you will live in such a way that you follow Jesus. And you you live for God the way you were meant and made to. It's one of the challenges about having other gods. They are fickle and they are, they hollow you out. And they promise you things they can't deliver on. Maybe there's people here, you, you followed the God of sex or the God of, of what other people think of you or the God of beauty. And you got to the end of that line and you found out, I was promised something and it's not here. That's because you were lied to. Just like Eve was lied to by the serpent. Do this and you will have this. But it's a lie. You were not meant made for that. You were meant made for God. And God says, in order for you to live that life, you can't have any other gods. Because when you follow me, you can always be sure of where you're going and that I do not lie to you. That when you follow me, you will have life and you will have it to the fullest. Doesn't mean you're never going to have problems in this life. But it means that when you follow Christ, when you follow God, when you follow the God who created you, the God who redeemed you in His grace and in His love, the God who gave up His Son for you, the God who lives in you by His Spirit, that you'll never be alone, that you will become what you were meant and made to be, that it's something that starts in this life, your new life starts in this life, You leave it all behind, as Jesus says to the rich young rulers, and you follow Jesus. So the call comes to you this afternoon to rest in Christ. You have been given new life in Christ, new life in Jesus. He loves you deeply and dearly. He looks at you. He loves you. He died on the cross for you 
gave his life for you so that your sins would be wiped away, that you can stand before God the Father without any thought of sin, without any anxiousness about your standing before him. And he loves you and says, true life is with me. Follow me. Amen.